Welcome to the Humanity Matters Podcast, where we discuss and reflect on faith and philosophy, nonprofit leadership, and social issues. We want to engage ideas on what it means to be a free human being in the pursuit of human flourishing. For more information, visit our website, philipfletcher.org. And now, the Humanity Matters Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Dr. Philip Fletcher here, and welcome to the Humanity Matters Weekly. We are in March 14th, 2021, and glad to uh, welcome everybody. As always, got a couple of different ways that you can connect with us. Go to our website, philipfletcher.org. That is philipfletcher.org. Go over to the YouTube channel. Hey, Love subscribers. So when you can uh, go into YouTube, just put in Humanity Matters. You'll see the Humanity Matters logo. And I would love for you to subscribe. And there's a lot of great video content, lectures, interviews, and past episodes of the Humanity Matters Weekly. So jump on over there as well. Humanity Matters podcast. Hey, anchor.fm, Google, Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcast content, as you are washing dishes, as you are working out, taking walks, whatever, go over to and subscribe, leave a review for the Humanity Matters podcast, a lot of great content. You'll also find uh, the audio version of some of these episodes that you are watching here live on today. As always, sponsorship is always helpful. It's good to uh, make an extra bag so that you can get better equipment and all that. And so if you would like to sponsor the show and even have an ad uh, run, uh, go over to PayPal, pfletcher73 at gmail.com. Also, you can go over to anchor.fm, go on to the Humanity Matters uh, podcast main page, and you can be a sponsor there as well as little as 99 cents a month. So check that out. Be able to Uh, Get some cool content as well as some swag. So I appreciate the support. And as always, you want to be part of the mailbag? Go over to Humanity Matters Podcast at gmail.com. Humanity Matters Podcast at gmail.com. And you submit a question and you have the possibility of being in the mailbag. And you get in the mailbag, you'll get a cool prize. So great ways to connect with me. So Today, we have as part of our Humanity Matters one-on-one discussion is Spike Cohen. Now, Jeremy Spike Cohen was the Libertarian Party's 2020 vice presidential nominee running with Dr. Joe Jorgensen, the Libertarian presidential nominee. Spike promotes a vision of common sense libertarian solutions that will make us all more free, safe, and prosperous. Mr. Cohen started a web design company in 1999. He retired from that three years ago to promote libertarian ideas full time. His great aim is to make people more familiar with voluntary solutions and property rights. He is the host of My Fellow Americans, the co-host of The Muddied Waters of Freedom, and the co-owner of Muddied Waters Media, a podcast platform that reaches millions. Most importantly, he is married to Tasha's. Spike, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. It's inc- it's true that that was the most important part was my marriage. <laughs> yes, you always you always got to give a shout out to the to the to the woman that makes us important and feels us like we can do what we want to do, but also exactly. support them and what they want to do. Absolutely. Yeah. So, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, man. How are you doing? Uh, by the way, you, you mentioned Dr. Jorgensen. I'm actually going to be uh, having a lunch with her after this interview. Uh, we'll okay. be having lunch to we'll have, be having a lunch to uh, it's a fundraiser lunch to benefit the Libertarian Party of Georgia. OK, good deal. So I guess you're in Georgia right now. Just I'm in I'm in Atlanta. Yeah, I'm in I'm hanging out in Atlanta. Yeah. Good deal. So, hey, just you like chocolate ice cream, vanilla ice cream. You like ice cream. Tell us I like chocolate. Cool about I, yourself. I like chocolate everything and I definitely like chocolate ice cream. Um What's something cool about myself? So I, most people, if you're looking at this, you're probably thinking this man is clearly a very good dancer. And you'd be correct. I'm actually 
uh, outside of politics, my, my, my favorite hobby, my wife and I are, are very avid uh, Latin dancers. So we do like salsa and bachata and merengue and things like that. So um, nice. what else is that? There's not a lot interesting about me. I ran for VP. That's my big thing. That's I'm hanging on that. Yeah, I got it. Good deal. So tell us about your family. Um, you're married. How long y'all been married? Uh, what's your wife do? Where y'all live? You know, just give a sense sure. of people get to know you. Sure, sure, sure. So I was, uh, we've been married, we've been together since 2007. We got married in 2010. Um, so we've been married. We're actually, uh, this month, later this month is our 11 year anniversary. Congratulations. And, uh, we have been in pure, in nothing but pure, unadulterated wedded bliss every moment of that. Now, anyone who's been married for a long time knows it. it, it there are definitely the ups and downs, but it's, right. it, it is, I, I am so grateful. And of course, anyone who's ever seen my wife knows why I'm saying this, but I, I am so beyond grateful to be married to her. Uh, she is incredible. She is usually like all of my fashion sense comes from her. There's nothing. Okay. I, I, I am increasingly just a reflection of what she wants me to be and look like. And I'm perfectly fine with that. Uh, so she's no, she's incredible. Um, and uh, we met online back in 07 and, and okay. met later that let, met uh, the following month in person. And uh, we've been inseparable ever since. That's awesome. That's awesome. Hey, once again, it's Dr. Philip Fletcher with the Humanity Matters one-on-one with Spike Cohen. And if you have a question or a comment, hey, just put it in there. And at some point, we'll take a question. Uh, we are broadcasting live on Facebook as well as YouTube. So, Spike, um, how did you arrive at libertarianism? Can you just so, fill us in on that? Yeah, it was kind of a slow progression over time. Uh, originally, I was more of like a neocon. I was very much in support of the wars overseas. I, I, I wanted lower taxes, mostly because I was a business owner. And when you're a successful business owner, taxes are your greatest enemy. Uh, so I wanted less taxes and regulations on business. But I didn't really care much else about what government was doing because it didn't directly affect me. Uh, and I had totally bought into the, uh, the, the lie that, you know, uh, we needed to be overseas uh, and bombing the rest of the world because they hated us for our freedoms and all that nonsense. And uh, and I fully believe that, you know, what the what the police were doing here was protecting us from the, you know, the barbarians who wanted to destroy civil society and all that nonsense. And, and I, I believed it. I believed it because I was comfortable enough to be able to believe that. And uh, it took uh, honestly, the first step was seeing that the you know, the wars overseas were not going the way that we were told they were going to go. Um, and that the people, the people that I was so annoyed by who, you know, uh, especially the libertarians who said, this is not how the war is going to go. If you want a smaller government, you're not going to get it from imperialism overseas and, and, and here. Um, and it made me start to really re-question everything. You know, what, what do I believe and what do I think about things? And can I trust the government? If I can't trust them on something like this, uh, keeping me safe from the, you know, people overseas, can I trust them about keeping me supposedly safe from people here? And, you know, that coupled with just doing more research and, and, and looking at things through a different lens of, of skepticism from what I was hearing from government and corporate media uh, really brought me to libertarianism. And uh, it didn't happen overnight. It was sort of a gradual, you know, going from being a neocon to more of a constitutionalist to being more of a classical liberal and now being a libertarian. Um, but I'm 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 glad that I was disabused of that notion, um, because now looking at things from a more empathetic standpoint, I'm able to see that the root of these problems is when power is too centralized. When we okay. put too much power in the hands of too few people, it leads to harmful and inequitable and abusive outcomes, especially for the most marginalized, those with the least power, because the people with the power, they're predators and they go after the prey. They go after the easiest prey. And in this scenario, the easiest prey are those who have the least uh, power, uh, economic power, social power, institutional power. And, uh, it, you know, it leads to the worst outcomes for them. We're all hurt by it, but there are those who are hurt even worse by it. And uh, as a libertarian, I believe we need to be dismantling those systems of oppression and tyranny and putting the power back in the hands of the people where it always belonged. Hey, great. So I'm an everyday guy walking down the street and I said, oh, my gosh, there's that guy, Spike Cohen. Seen some videos of him. You got three minutes with me. And I ask you, so in a nutshell, what is libertarianism? 
Libertarianism is the belief that we do the best when we are most free. That when, as I was saying before, when we put too much power in the hands of too few people, it's going to be a bad thing for all but those powerful people and the cronies who latch on to them, the, the, the already wealthy and powerful people who latch on to them and use that power to basically protect their wealth and their market share at the expense of everyone else. And if we look at the problems in healthcare, if we look at the problems with this pandemic, if we look at the problems with uh, education, especially higher education, when we look at the problems with the cost of living going through the roof, when we look at problems with criminal justice, when we look at any of these problems, they can all be boiled down to a small handful of people who are incredibly powerful, who have been had way too much power put in their hands, who are deciding things for the rest of us. And libertarians believe that when people impose themselves on others and when they hurt other people and take from them, that's an act of aggression. Now, we believe that's wrong for moral reasons. You shouldn't hurt people. You shouldn't take their things. It's also right. wrong for utilitarian reasons. It doesn't work. If I can take from you and everyone else that's watching this whenever I see fit, and I, if I can order you around whenever I want to, I don't have to provide you with any value. And I don't have to be a good steward of what I've taken from you because I can just take more whenever I want. And I don't have to prove that what I'm doing actually works because I didn't get it from you because you decided that I was you know, a good steward and that I, I was providing value to you. You gave it to me because otherwise I was going to throw you in jail or I was going to hurt you. And in that kind of arrangement, that's always going to lead to bad outcomes. We believe that the uh, the best way forward, that to be able for people to live as free and as safe and as prosperous and as healthy and as fairly and equitable, equitably as possible is to dismantle those systems of power, to decentralize yeah. the power as much as possible and to allow people to be free to pursue their own aims and voluntary association with one another. Good. That's good. And we're going to dig in in a few minutes, kind of how it applies. You know, you spoke about healthcare. You brought up the pandemic. Uh, mm -hmm. I want to talk about you know, criminal justice and, and, and those types of things, those things that hit everyday people uh, that yeah. I don't think we really intensely think about uh, in regards to what a few people choose to do to make decisions for everybody versus, you know, what each individual person thinks they need to do based on what's best for their particular uh, context, uh, essentially. Right. Um, so, how do you how do you arrive at being the vice presidential candidate for a major political party in the United States? Can you explain that story and and how you arrived uh, at that position? So in some ways, I kind of came out of nowhere. And, and the reason why that is, is because my background was in business. I, I ran a business. I started a business when I was 16 um, mm -hmm. and uh, I was in the business world. Uh, four years ago, after two years of some pretty difficult times, I was diagnosed with MS. Um, and I was at that point, I was pretty sure I had MS, but I was okay. officially diagnosed. And wow. that's not actually what was the life changer. What was the life changer was when I was sitting with the doctor and the doctor is explaining to me what my treatment options are. Okay. And he's explaining that the the purpose of the treatment, the, the goal of the treatment is to try to slow down the rate of the progression of my MS so that it's not much different than just the usual aging process. That was supposed to make okay. me feel better. That hit me like a ton of bricks because I realized it doesn't matter. Because In that moment, I was thinking, oh, gosh, I have MS. How is this going to affect me? What am I going to do? And then right. I realized something. It doesn't matter if I have MS or not. No matter what happens, no matter how healthy we are, there's a point where we're eventually not going to be here. A hundred yeah. years from now, it's not going to matter how much money we had or how successful we were or how peacefully we lived or anything else. What's going to matter is what impact we were able to make on those around us and what impact they were able to make as a result of that on those around them. That's the nice. more impact we can we can make on those around us and on society as a whole and in, in our communities, the that's the only impact. That's the only wave or wake that we will leave uh, that will matter at all 100 or 500 or even 50 years after we're gone. And that took me down the path of saying, well, I'm in a position where I don't have to work anymore. I'd love to be richer, but I really don't have to work anymore. What do I want to do? What is the one thing? Because uh, at that point, I had no more fears. Uh, I wasn't afraid of death. I wasn't afraid of illness. I wasn't afraid of anything. When, you, when you're told you have an incurable illness and you have to learn to make peace with it because stress is one of the worst ways to deal with your illness, it makes it worse. You'd learn to make peace with it. And the one fear I had was not, was, was whenever I do leave here, that I didn't leave any impact, that I didn't help anyone around me. 
And so that really changed everything. And so I went on a path of, well, what do I want to do? And at that point, I realized I wanted to let people know that they were right. What they believed inside was correct. And what they were told their whole lives was wrong, was not wrong. It was correct. The problem is them. The problem is that you're not free. The problem is that things are being imposed upon you and you have no power to be able to stop it. And that we have the power working together to stop it and to take our power back. And so that got me into, uh, you know, I, I started a, a podcast and I got involved in a media company, Muddy Waters Media. And our goal was to reach outside of libertarian circles to give the libertarian message, to give the message of freedom and liberty. And uh, to, with, on, on the back of that success, there were some people in the libertarian party who reached out to me and mm -hmm. asked me to run for office and to run for the vice presidential nomination. Um, and so I thought, OK, well, I, I will I will do that. I really wasn't all that involved in the Libertarian Party before that. I was a Libertarian. I, I, I uh, uh, promoted Libertarian candidates on the show and everything else, but I wasn't really involved directly in the party. And, um, and so I jumped in. I joined the party. I jumped in for the, the uh, uh, vice presidential race. I was met with a little bit of skepticism. Okay. And, and unlike the other candidates, um, I, uh, I decided instead of you know, focusing on talking directly to the delegates who, uh, uh, you know, who make the choice, I would focus instead on showing how I could bring people into the party uh, by doing okay. outreach events, by going to college campuses, by going to communities, by going to housing projects, going to places where libertarians often don't go uh, or where really people don't go in general, where politicians don't go and, and spreading the message of liberty and bringing people into our movement. And on the strength oh, of that, I, I was uh, I got the nomination. Yeah. Can you dig a little bit more deeper in that when you mentioned going to the places politicians for whatever reason, don't go. Um, sure. Now I know there's, um, I'll just be honest. Typically, you know, you look at Democrats, um, they pretty much have a good approach to going into particular neighborhoods or uh, what would be considered particular voting blocks, right? And uh, other parties, not as much. Can you just, can you explain why that is so important to, to go to what would be considered kind of like those disaffected groups, um, those everyday people. Well, uh, I, I can uh, tell you this from, um, from a libertarian, you know, don't have that real time. from a, from a libertarian standpoint, we believe that a lot, most, if not all of our social problems, uh, that we are facing as a society and as individuals are either created or made worse by people in power, by government and by their cronies and just by the system of power that we have. If we believe that and we then neglect to talk to those who are the most greatly and acutely affected by that, then not only are we missing out on a on a major messaging opportunity, but for that matter, I think that we're doing a uh, we're doing a, a harm to ourselves and, and to the people that are being hurt. If I walk into a building and I see one person that's being hit with a stick and another person that's being stabbed in the chest, both of those people are being hurt. And I want to stop yeah. the person doing that to both of them. But the person being stabbed in the chest is the one that needs the help the most. Um, I, I agree. Democrats have had a good done a good job at. Uh, creating just enough of a presence in marginalized communities to basically take for granted that they can get everyone's vote there. Um, mm -hmm. And when I went into, for example, when I went into housing projects in, uh, in North Carolina um, okay. and I was speaking to the folks there and I said, by the way, have any other politicians or anyone been here? And they said, well, not here. No one will come here. The police don't even come here. But we mm -hmm. we uh, uh, the we'll have a politician come to a community center nearby uh, yeah. and do like a, a barbecue or, you know, some kind of get out the vote event and they'll have an entertainer come local entertainer and they'll sign us all up to vote. And then that's about it. That's that really. And I said, do any Republicans come? They're like, no, no, no. Republicans don't come here. And, and I, and, it, and there's a reason for that. Democrats take for granted that they have the vote of, of people of color and of, of poorer people, especially people in, in, you know, public housing and things like that. And Republicans take for granted that they don't have that vote. And they actually, scapegoat those folks to you know to appeal to their voter base mm -hmm. while the democrats scapegoat the other group to appeal to this voting base they, they play off of each other it's a good cop bad cop routine um and what i realized is um really what i realized was kind of what my theory already was which was that we need to be reaching out to everyone and first of all we shouldn't mm -hmm. be leaving anyone uh, any any you know chips on the table but also yeah. 
when I went into these communities and I went in with a message of criminal justice reform, uh, occupational licensing reform, really getting rid of occupational licensing for the vast yeah. majority of jobs. You don't need a license to braid hair. You don't need a license to mow lawns. That's just the government making it prohibitively expensive for the poor to try to get ahead in life. That's all that is. It's a barrier to entry to protect pit rich people from poor people. That's all it is. And yeah. um, and so we went in with that message and I thought it would be well received. What I didn't realize was my sentences would be completed for me. I didn't need to tell these folks that government was making their life harder. I yeah. didn't need to tell these folks that when the police show up, it's not to protect anyone. It's to make sure no one's doing anything that, you know, is going to is going to you know affect the profit margins of, of nearby businesses that don't want to compete with, you know, an unlicensed company. And, you know, when in doing that, and that includes people that are competing with big pharma, too, by the way, uh, yeah. people that are selling stuff that does, that works better than you know, what big pharma is prescribing right. people. Um, right. And uh, so when I was out there and I was telling people, you know, uh, I originally went out with, you know, I was going to explain this to folks and they were going to understand. I didn't have to explain anything. I just went there and said, yeah, I, you know, I agree with you uh, that, you know, occupational licensing is harming you and your community and making it where I met people that should be millionaires and, 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 and many more that maybe if they're not millionaires, they should at least be able to make a good enough living where they can provide for themselves and their families, maybe create a few jobs in the process. And instead right. they can't, cause they don't have the tens of thousands of dollars to legally comply with the ability to, you know, to operate a freaking you know, window replacement company or whatever. I mean, we're not talking, you know, doctors and lawyers that you can understand why they would need some kind of minimal licensing requirement. This is stuff that, you know, catering and, and, and DJing, there's a DJing license. Why? Yeah. And, and so in talking with these folks, uh, not only were we able to sign up a ton of people to the Libertarian Party in North Carolina, we brought hope back to a lot of folks who didn't know that there was anyone out there who was going to do anything other than either pander to them or pander against them to other people who hate them. Uh, hey, that's good. Yeah. Here in Arkansas, I was looking at the uh, occupational licensure and, and one of them is to be a, a referee. You know, to, yeah. you know, refereeing, you know, AAU games or a boxing match, you know, you got to apply to the state yep. uh, to do those type of things. And you're just like, why? And I think the other you thing, pay is, them. yeah, the pandemic, I think, is has revealed uh, as well that there's many people that don't need licensure and that they can continue to uh, support themselves um, Instead of again uh, putting out these fees and and so on and so forth to maintain a standard of living, so so what happens when my my physical building closes, right? And can I make braid hair outside of my home, so on and so forth? Yep. And you know, I know tons of people who do that on the under. I mean, that's what it is—an underground uh, economy that happens. I know tons yeah. of guys and and who cut hair and uh, and do all types of things just to get that hustle in and make additional money. So you're right. Occupational licensure can't stand in the way of, especially with the work I do with persons who are in low income situations to yep. continue to improve their situation so they could, you know, provide for themselves and their children. And, and it's uh, rooted. Incidentally, it is rooted, at least in the U S uh, yeah. It is rooted in post-slavery racist uh, uh, policy. So yes. a, a lot of a lot yes. of folks don't know this. When the slaves were freed, freed. When the slaves, when when chattel slavery was moved from the private sector to the public sector, where now it was the Bureau mm -hmm. of Prisons that was enslaving people. Once mm -hmm. we had freed slaves. These slaves yeah. knew trades. They knew right. how to do all these different things. We had masons and we had construction people and we had people that could do uh, all sorts of work. And so they started their own businesses right. and they were able to do it for a lot less than their their you know white competitors were. And so one of the first things that was done in the in, in the post slavery era was to pass two things. Gun control for freed slaves so they can't defend right. themselves against the Klan and right. occupational licensing that they knew that slave that freed slaves couldn't afford. And also, as we know, you can't get a business license if you have a criminal record. So along right. with that came the black codes. If you if a bunch of black people are standing outside near a business, they're loitering. They now have a criminal record and they can't own a business legally. And if they try to, they go off to jail where they work for free. 
This yeah. was all just an extension of slavery. And the occupational licensing now, uh, it still disproportionately affects people of color, but it's mostly because of economic reasons now. But the effect is still the same. If yes. your income is below a certain level, there is a barrier that you simply cannot afford. And you either have to be a wage slave for someone else or you have to do it illegally and risk uh, the police coming and taking everything from you with civil asset forfeiture. You probably don't even go on trial. They just take it from you. Uh, or you risk going back to jail if you're on probation or parole, uh, or you just got to live off the state and uh, and have everyone tell you that you're lazy and entitled and spoiled. And this is the problem that we have. I met so many people that almost, I'd say probably at least 85% of the people that I met had a you know a side hustle, which was basically a business that they couldn't yeah. legally market. Um, and so because they can't legally market and they can't grow big enough to actually be able to provide for themselves, it puts some money in their pocket. But Phil, there was no reason. I met at least one or two people that are, would probably be billionaires and many more that would be multimillionaires and many more, but the majority of the people there that would easily be able to provide for themselves and others. And, yeah. and if, we, if we were able to take that out of the black market by simply getting rid of these stupid occupational licenses, the uh, more people would be able to pull themselves out of poverty. There would be an in uh, in pref in group economics happening that has yeah. happened in every group that needed to pull itself up from its bootstraps that would be allowed to happen. Uh, and then you would also have lower prices for consumers for all yeah. of us. We'd all do better because we have more competition to choose from. The only people who lose are the politicians who put them in that position and the cronies who benefit from having fewer competitors. And I'm fine with that arrangement. I am fine with those people being the only ones who don't benefit. Right. Awesome. Hey, it's Dr. Philip Fletcher. We're here with Spike Cohen, and we are talking about his journey to libertarianism, being the 2020 vice presidential candidate for the Libertarian Party. And if you've got a question or comment, hey, send it to us. We're going to take a short break and be right back. Imagine you have it all. A warm bed and a full fridge. No want, no worries, and no fear of tomorrow. Then disaster strikes. Your world is turned upside down. You are now broke, hungry, trying to survive. This is a story of people like me. Like me. Like me. Like me. Like me. And people like you. Now picture this, a community of compassion, a place of second chances. You can give a home to the homeless here in Conway, Arkansas. Learn how at www.hopevillagecoho.org. Thank you for making hope happen. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to the Humanity Matters One-on-One. -on -one. I'm your host, Dr. Philip Fletcher, and we are here with Spike Cohen, and we're talking everything libertarianism, his journey towards uh, being a libertarian, his work as the former vice president for the Libertarian Party for vice president of the United States. Let's let's put it all on there uh, for the Libertarian Party. And hey, if you got a question, put it in the box and we're going to get to those in a few minutes. So, uh, Spike, let's dive into some things that people have been dealing with over the last uh, two years, really. And let's start with the pandemic. Now, yes. uh, people are getting a vaccine now. Uh, mm -hmm. President Joe Biden has said that we may be allowed to have barbecues come July 4th. You know. <laughs> Which I just want to inc incidentally, if you were waiting for the chief executive of the government to tell you whether you can ce celebrate the 4th of July, we're missing the point of the 4th of July. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you talk about in, within this last since 2020, the relationship between government and the individual and Absolutely. what this has exposed? Yeah. So first of all, you'll notice that when Democrats and Republicans argue with each other about COVID-19, they never talk about the actual root cause of COVID-19. They talk about politics, about lockdowns and masks and all this other stuff. And it's usually just blaming one side. Oh, well, the Democrats did this. The Republicans did this. What they never mention is the fact that for the first two months that the virus was here, starting in late January at the very latest that it very earliest that it was here, or yeah, very latest that it was here for at least two months uh, or at least six to eight weeks, the CDC and the FDA did not allow doctors to test people for covid for, mm. i remember when i was sick in uh i, I was at uh the new hampshire primaries 
I interacted with tens of thousands of people from across the planet. And then I got really, really sick in February. And I thought, uh-oh, I wonder if I have this coronavirus thing. And yeah. I went to a doctor and I said, do you think I have this coronavirus? And they said, maybe, but you, uh, and oh, and I tested, and tested negative for the flu. So I was sick with something viral. It wasn't a cold. It wasn't the flu and it was really bad. And they said, but we can't test you for COVID because we're not allowed to. So just assume you have COVID and don't go anywhere. So I actually had to quarantine uh, for three weeks. I, I missed uh, two events as a result of it uh, because I didn't want to inadvertently get anyone else sick. Um, but the reality is, uh, Phil, is that, you know, that was precious time that we lost. That was time where this virus could have been contained and the spread of it could have been slowed down. Instead, what we now know is that when the COVID was starting to pop off, even before the testing was allowed, and certain states like New York and Wisconsin and California and others, when they knew, uh, Michigan as well, uh, when they knew uh, that COVID patients, people were coming in as, as suspected and confirmed COVID patients, they started shoving them in nursing homes and mental health facilities, even though those facilities were saying, we don't have the protocols in place to protect non-COVID patients and residents from COVID patients. So they put them in with the most vulnerable people, the ones most likely to die, which is why the uh, fatality rate was so high initially. So this created a situation where we went from thinking, ah, that we don't know if the virus is here, to saying, it's here, tens of thousands of people have it and thousands of people are dying from it. That led to the, pan the panic that led to these lockdowns, which we now know, and which libertarians were saying since you know March and April, I made my first anti-lockdown video while I was voluntarily quarantining uh, to okay. say that lockdowns were not going to work. We now know that uh, seasonality and, uh, and um, uh, population density had far more to do with the spread of the virus from state to state than any lockdown measures or lack thereof. These lockdowns have done nothing, have been successful in doing nothing but causing immeasurable harm to uh, various communities, uh, to people across the country uh, who uh, lost their small businesses, lost their jobs, weren't able to get uh, treatment for their addiction, weren't able to get cancer screenings, their children weren't able to go to school, the suicide rate has gone through the roof, the domestic yeah. abuse rate has gone through the roof, and this, the rate of the spread of the virus didn't change between states uh, that had the, the, between similar states, similar states in, in, in climate and uh, in, in, and in uh, population density, uh, whether mm -hmm. they had lockdowns or not. And it was the World Health Organization that told us it wouldn't work. They said that long-term lockdowns didn't work, and they mm -hmm. did it anyway. Um, so this is once again what happens when you have a small handful of people with almost all of the power who aren't affected by their decisions and really just want to make create a theater of making it look like they're doing something to fix the problem. And it's going to take a long time for them to admit. It actually won't be them. It'll be politicians who replace them who will finally admit. Right. That uh, that this was a this entire thing was made exponentially worse by government by their absolutely stupid uh, reactions to the virus, and that then they caused immeasurable societal suffering, not to mention the economic damage they've caused um, in 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 doing these lockdowns. Uh, they made everything worse in every single way. And if they had simply allowed people to be free, we wouldn't have had nearly as many cases. We wouldn't have had nearly as many deaths. The vaccine would have been on the market sooner. And we would have also uh, not caused all of the exponential harm that's been done uh, as a result of lockdowns and, and mandates. Good deal. So uh, libertarianism and criminal justice. What is how can libertarianism speak into uh, what is going on in our criminal justice system? First of all, the vast majority of people that are in prison should not be if a crime does not have a victim and the victim can't be government or society. Mm -hmm. if, if you murder someone, you rape someone, you rob from someone, you defraud someone, you you slander someone, you know, that deserves a punishment. Although slander, you shouldn't be in prison for slander. But but you know, if if you are if you have hurt someone, then you should be punished. And if you have proven that you are a danger to those around you, so much so that you need to be kept from them, then you should probably be in prison. Otherwise you shouldn't be in prison. And if you and if your crime doesn't have a victim, then, you know, if you didn't rob someone, if you didn't rape someone, if you didn't actually do something that directly hurt someone else and or took from them or robbed them of something, then you shouldn't. It's not a crime. If you choose to compete with big pharma on the streets, that shouldn't be a crime. People should be able to put whatever they want in their bodies. And the war on drugs has been every bit as disastrous as the war on alcohol was. It has created cartels through a black market. It has made it harder for addicts to get the help that they need. It has created gang violence. Uh, you know, you don't see gangs fighting each other over selling alcohol because you can buy it anywhere uh, or you can buy it in a store. Um, 
yeah. you know, when and and when you do that, and and we're now seeing, oh well, they're going to make marijuana legal, uh, but you have to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, to be able to get the license to sell it. So you have people in jail, poor people, mostly people of color, something like eighty percent of them people of color, even though white people are every bit as much to, likely to use and sell drugs. Uh, mm-hmm. You've got mostly poor people of color that are in prison for selling something that now rich people are getting richer selling. And, you know, we need to end the war on drugs. We need to free all of it, the victims of victimless crimes. We need to end the war on guns. We don't talk about that a lot, Phil. The fact is yeah. a person of color is something like uh, 50 or 60 percent less likely or 40, 40 or 50. They're about half as likely as a white person to own a gun. And yet they're seven times more likely to be in prison for owning a gun, not for using it in a crime, but just for owning a weapon that wasn't legal for them to own uh, the licensing around guns exponentially hurts those who are poor and can't afford all this licensing or people who you know may have committed a victimless crime in the past and now aren't allowed to defend themselves ever again in their entire lives with a weapon. Uh, we need to end the war on guns and free all of its victims from cages too. And then moving forward from there, we need to do two more things. Number one, we need to hold uh, politicians and police officers and prosecutors and judges accountable by ending immunity for all of them, not just qualified immunity for police officers, yeah. but absolute immunity for prosecutors and judges and politicians. And then we also need to move to a system of restorative justice. If you have created a victim, but you are not a danger to those around you, the best way to resolve that is for you to be made to make your victim whole, to, to repair whatever damage that you have caused or whatever harm or whatever loss you have caused to whatever extent you can and mm-hmm. learn a lesson in the process and hopefully be able to move on from there and not do it again and learn your lessons. Not be put in a cage where you actually have to become even harder just to survive. And then, you know, many years later, you get let out like a rabid animal without any ability to be able to provide for yourself because you can't get a business license and you can't get a good job because you got that criminal record and you can't leave the state, but you're also not allowed to associate with anyone you knew when you were at. This is, we're setting people up to fail. Yeah. Restorative justice instead of punitive justice, which doesn't work, which costs the taxpayers more, which does not help the victims and which just creates more victims. Instead, Move to a system of restorative justice. If you are a threat to those around you, that's one thing. If you're a mass murderer or if you are a mass rapist or something like that, and it is demonstrated that at least for a certain period of time, you need to be put away to keep others from you, that's one thing. For the other vast majority of crimes where the people are not a direct danger to anyone around them, but just did something bad and stupid that they need to make up for, let them make up for it. Make them make up for it, and then they'll be able to get better, and they'll be able to be productive. They'll learn their lesson. Everyone who's watching this, raise your hands if you haven't done something that was illegal and that had a victim. And I even mean something petty, like it took five bucks from someone. Raise your hands. You know, My hand's not raised. I was fortunate enough to not get caught, and so were many of you. And we need to give some people grace. They did something wrong. Let them make up for it. Good. Hey, actually, we got a question um, directly related sure. to something you said. And this is from Martha. She asked, this is a sincere question. Uh, what mm-hmm. is a victimless crime? So examples of victimless crimes. I'll give an exa- a couple examples and then explain why they're victimless crimes. So, for example, uh, selling a substance, selling marijuana, selling uh, cocaine, selling heroin to someone who wants to buy it. Even if we don't like heroin, we don't like cocaine. I've been sober for 15 years. I don't even drink coffee. But I think that, you know, I I don't think that a person should not be allowed to put something in their body. And I recognize that if we tell them that they can't, they're still going to do it. And now they have to go to a black market to do it. And as a result of their being addicted to that, because now it's illegal for them to be addicted, it's harder for them to get help without risking jail time, which means they're more likely to continue using. And uh, because other options like cannabis uh, aren't more readily available because they're illegal, they get addicted to legal uh, opioids. Then they get their, their supply cut off when they reach their limit. And now they're having to use black tar heroin, all because government stepped in and said, no, we don't like you doing this. This is bad. We don't like it, even though there wasn't a victim. Owning yeah. a weapon is not a, a, I don't care if the weapon's not licensed. I don't care if the weapon, because you shouldn't have to have a license to defend your right to keep and bear arms. It, it says yeah. shall not be infringed. It doesn't say unless you don't have a license uh, right. or, or unless you you know can't pass a background check. It says shall not be infringed. Um, uh, a, any Anything that is illegal right now in which there is not an actual victim, you did not harm someone or take from them or hurt them or kill them or, or violate them in any way in doing that. So for example, rape 
is a crime with a victim. Obviously, right. murder right. is a crime with a victim. Theft is a crime with a victim. Uh, fraud is a crime with a, a victim. Um, you know, the, these are examples of crimes with with, with, with actual victims. Uh, wage theft, which is one of the biggest forms of theft in this country and is almost never prosecuted, where bosses short their workers and say, no, you don't like it? Sue me. You can't afford it, but sue me. Um, that's a crime with a victim. I would much rather see our police going after wage theft, which is, you know, billions of dollars a year being robbed from the poorest people among us uh, because they can't afford to fight back against it. I would much rather see resources spent on that. I would much rather see resources spent on processing all these rape kits that sometimes sit for years before they're processed than for someone to go to jail for competing with big pharma on the streets or someone going to jail because they own a weapon and they didn't have the thousands of dollars to get the government's permission for them to be able to defend themselves. We need to get rid of victimless crimes so that our, our, our police forces are able to focus their resources on actually uh, actual crimes with actual victims, child molestations, child predators on the internet, these types of things. Like this is what you go after, not, not right. someone selling drugs or, or, or owning a weapon. Right. That's good. Uh, Melissa says, uh, greed and addicts need to be looked at through a different lens. They are yes. patients, not criminals. Yeah. Addiction is not is very often not the actual problem. The problem is whatever led them to have that addiction, chronic pain, mental mm -hmm. health issues, some bad decisions that, you know, uh, because they didn't have a more supportive uh, family uh, led them to do it. Here, I can tell you me personally, I just yep. did a bunch of stupid stuff. I was I was had a very supportive family. I had I had a you're welcome for the clarification. I, I had a very, very supportive family. Um, and I just want I was just rebellious and I wanted to get high and, I, and it went too far. Thankfully, I had a very, very supportive family who said, I'm good. We're going to love you no matter what. And uh, and we want you to get better. And eventually I did. We know from scientific studies and social studies that people whose addiction leads to everyone ostracizing them makes it exponentially worse because now they don't have anyone to turn to. Now, there are yeah. times that the reason that people turn them away is because now they're they're robbing people to feed their addiction and things like that. So I'm not I'm not saying that you should open yourself to being a victim of someone who needs to get help for their for their addiction. What I'm saying is that there are many addicts who end up being ostracized as a result of their addiction. We should be loving people who are sick. You don't hate someone for having the cold or having the flu or having COVID and saying, oh, you know, it was your dumb choices that got you cold. No, you know, they got sick. Something bad happened and they got sick. Or even if someone does something dumb and breaks their leg, you don't go, oh, I'm not going to help you. You're dumb. You broke your leg. What an idiot. You help them because they got hurt. Addiction is a manifestation of a hurt almost always. Sometimes it's just someone making a stupid choice like with me, but you can still love someone through their bad choices. Again, raise your hand if you haven't made any dumb choices that led to someone, including yourself, being harmed as a result of it. We need to have grace right. for people. And that's actually a, a core yeah. thing with libertarianism. We need to give people enough grace to recognize that they often need help and that we can work together to be able to help each other and that we working together voluntarily to help each other will be able to do far better in helping one another than having it imposed upon us by some powerful person who has already demonstrated multiple times that they do not care about us. Yes, yes. Hey, we got another question we're gonna take and this is from Caleb uh, Spike and he asks, uh, in your experience and opinion, why is it that libertarian ideas are not more popular among the most marginalized in society? I think that there's two things here. Number one, libertarianism isn't well known, uh, out, uh, you know, and, and, and there's many reasons for that that we could have a whole episode about. But, you yeah. know, generally speaking, uh, as a result, and I guess the shorthand answer is as a result of the fact that, you know, government and corporate media definitely don't want a message of empowering the individual at the expense of the powerful. Uh, getting out there as a message and coupled with the fact that we've often made some some mistakes in how we message things. Uh, it, it's not broadly known. Um, also, uh, you know, I, I think part of the issue is that it is easier to tell. So if someone has had their bread stolen from them and had their leg broken, it's easier to sell them the idea of giving them some free crumbs and a free crutch than to try to explain to them how that happened in the first place, that the, you know, that the person giving them the crumbs and the crutch is the one that broke their leg and, and stole their bread in the first place, and that it would be better if we should be stopping the stealing of bread and, and breaking of people's legs. Um, it, it's, it's harder than, than you know, telling someone who's in a very desperate and acute situation uh, well, I'm just going to give you this and then you'll be all right. It's, it's, it's a little bit harder to message it. 
But in my mind, when I went there and talked to folks, people didn't want their own crumbs back. They wanted their whole loaf of bread back. People didn't yeah. want their crutch. They wanted their leg not to get broken. They wanted yeah. help getting their legs set so that they could get the help that they need. Uh, but it, but they also wanted to make sure that no more legs were being broken. And so, you know, I but I, I think that it is incumbent upon us as libertarians to get our message out as broadly as possible. And I think instead of me trying to argue, I live in a very comfortable and 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 fairly well-to-do neighborhood. Instead of wasting my time arguing with people who are comfortable about whether or not the government is harming them in some in some possibly uh, imperceptible way, it's much easier for me to go to people who are in some cases protesting in the streets against the government harming them uh, to, uh, you know, to, 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 to tell them, hey, we recognize, instead of even having to, I don't have to argue with someone who's in that position. I can just say, hey, we recognize the harm that's being done to you. And we recognize yeah. why that harm is being done to you. And we have proposals to show how we can end that harm for good, not just for you, but for everyone. Yeah. That's good. Uh, another question comes from Melissa, and this is more of a, uh, a process question regarding mm -hmm. ballots. Um, I'm joining a county yeah. affiliate meeting tonight regarding ballot access petitioning here nice. in Arkansas. Any tips? So for those who don't know what she's talking about, so Melissa, and thank you, Melissa, so much for doing this. Uh, the uh, Republican and Democrat parties, the Republicrats, they basically get instant ballot access. If you want to run with an R or a D next to your name in, in any state, uh, you pretty much you get on there automatically. You may have to get like 25 signatures or you may have to spend, you know, a couple grand to get on the ballot. But you pretty much whatever you're running for president all the way down to dog catcher, you're automatically on the ballot. But yeah. if you're a libertarian or Green Party or any other non-Republicrat party, you have to sometimes get tens or even hundreds of thousands of signatures before they'll even let you on the ballot. Now, meanwhile, these are the same parties that get instant ballot access and rob the taxpayer to help pay for their campaigns and their conventions. But the rest of us have to spend months every election cycle, every two years, we have to spend months just to even get on the ballot. In, 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 in Joe Jorgensen and I were the only two politicians who were who actually earned our spot on all 50 state ballots because no one else was able to do it. And the Republicans and Democrats didn't earn it. They just got instant access. So, mm -hmm. Melissa, thank you so much for doing what you're doing uh, in terms of tips. Uh, you know, as things are opening up, it's a little bit easier to find bigger events where you can go and try to get ballots signed. Um, Someone who's on my team, uh, my volunteer team, a guy named Brian, he has been incredibly successful. Uh, he actually goes to uh, post offices and uh, and, you know, he goes out there and and, and the what I would recommend to you when you're getting the ballot uh, signed, when you're getting the, the petition signed. We often go and say, hey, would you like to help get the Libertarian Party on the ballot? Because, you know, it's hard for us to do it. And the duopoly is blah, blah. No one cares about that. Instead, I when I was helping in uh, in Pennsylvania and when I was helping, what was the other state I was in? Man, I can't remember. Anyway, I was in two different states, but one of them was Pennsylvania. It wasn't, wasn't Minnesota. Anyway, I was in Pennsylvania and some other state that I can't remember at the moment. Uh, when I was there collecting ballot signatures last year, uh, I learned from uh, from my friend Brian. Uh, I, I went and instead of saying, oh, you know, the Libertarian Party, we want to get on the ballot. And, you know, the duopoly doesn't allow third options. I would say, hey, can you do me a favor? Uh, my friend such and such, whoever, whoever you have running locally, uh, is trying to get on the ballot. And they just need a certain number of signatures to be able to run for office. Is it possible for you to assign this? I got like a 99% yes to that. When I would do the, hey, can you help the Libertarian Party get on the ballot? Blah, blah, blah. Maybe 20% said yes. Because A, a lot of people already were Republican or Democrat and didn't want another option to rob their party of votes. Uh, and B, a lot of people were like, I don't care about your party. Who cares? I don't even vote. But if I said, hey, listen, my friend's trying to get on the ballot, and I would say what their name was or whatever, you know, my friend Joe uh, is trying to get on the ballot, uh, and the only way we can do it is, is get these signatures. Can you help me with that? I, I got, you know, 15 times. I mean, it was, it, was, it was not even comparable how much better success rate I had. Yeah. As, as a related, and this is coming from me, how, how do you respond to individuals who, who object to third party uh, presence on in voting. So typically you've identified Republicans and Democrats, they've got their yep. open door to be on ballots. Um, yes. but any talk of, you know, libertarian or any type of other option is met with, um, you know, just work within that 
a Republican and Democratic Party to change what's going on. Yeah. Um, or you're taking votes away so that the other party is a candidate. What are good response that? Um, so that, you know, people can be more open and supportive of third party options uh, on ballots. So uh, the first one is that I get is, uh, well, you're taking votes from our party, whichever party that is. And yeah. I'll say uh, that's I, I, I'll say one of two things, depending on how the conversation has gone so far. I'll either say, no, that's not true. There's multiple exit polls showing that our, our voters don't vote. They, they, they show up to vote libertarian they weren't going to vote for your guy or i'll say hey listen if you're worried about a small third party that has to fight so hard just to get on the ballot taking uh you know votes from your candidate maybe their candidate shouldn't suck that much um and then uh the other thing when people will get into the lesser evil because that's really what, what it comes down to they'll say well you're taking uh votes from my guy and i'll say okay why should i vote for your guy well he's not the other guy and i'll say okay well but he did that your guy did this 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 and this that you know you don't like well, yeah, but he's, you know, he's a lesser evil than the other one. And, and I, I'll ask people, how often have you been voting for that lesser evil? And whatever answer they'll tell me, I'll say, how's that been working for you? Mm -hmm. You know, you can vote for lesser evil and it accumulates over time. So even yeah. if it may, and meanwhile, I, I argue that they aren't really lesser evils. They're pretty equal. But even if they are, even if this is a lesser evil than this evil, you're really just slowing down the rate that you're approaching evil. Um, and you're not creating less evil. You're just slowing down the rate at which you are approaching hellfire or whatever, whatever the, the worst, you know, the worst uh, uh, iteration of evil is. Right. Um, and, and, and the reality is things aren't getting better um, on, on so many fronts, especially for the working poor and especially for the most marginalized among us. Um, and, and what I also I often bring up the fact that, you know, if you look behind their rhetoric of being opposed to each other. Republicans and Democrats work together hand in hand every single day. When it's time to give trillions of dollars to the billionaire cronies that put them both in office, they work together without even talking about it. When it's time for them to, you know, expand and continue wars and genocides around the world, they don't blink. They don't bat an eyelash. They might, you know, have some people give some speeches, but that's it. They still do it. Yeah. Uh, when it's time to continue to put mostly poor people of color in prisons and use them for slave labor to the benefit of multi-billionaire corporations, they don't bat an eyelash. Again, they'll allow Ilhan Omar and AOC and maybe Rand Paul to get some kind of fiery speech about it, but it's still going to happen. It doesn't matter. Um, and, and when you have two sides working together to inflict more and more harm on everyone around us, again, especially the most marginalized among us, and when you see that they're in, in intentionally playing a good cop, bad cop routine, yeah. Uh, where they play good cop to their base and more importantly, they play bad cop to the other side's base so that that way that side, each side can say, yeah, you might not like me, but look at that guy. He's terrible. He hates you. This allows them to create a, a shell game where you have an illusion of choice. I argue that there is no real choice between them. They're, the only real binary choice is to continue to vote Republican and to continue to be victimized by them yeah. or to vote for an option to remove them and put the power back in your hands. We are only conned as long as we allow ourselves to be conned. And the very moment that we stop allowing ourselves to be conned, the con game begins to end. So it's their choice to end the con game. That's good. That's good. Hey, as we're coming to the close, uh, Spike, great questions for those who submitted it and, and comments. Um, Spike, as much you want to talk about, what are your future plans in uh, Libertarian Party with your media that you've got going on? Talk to mm -hmm. us about that. So my biggest focus right now for at least the next year or so is to grow the party at the grassroots local level. We often get caught up in this game of fantasizing about what's going to happen when we win the White House and mm. take over Washington, D.C. And we end all of this and we do this and we do that. That is our end goal and we need to do it. We're nowhere near that right now. Every single time we talk about that, then we get single digits. We got Joe and I got 1.2%. It's the second highest number of votes the Libertarian Party's ever gotten. It was 1.2%. We were a rounding error. It is what it is. We, but we do win local races, hundreds of them across the country. So let's focus on that. Let's win a ton of local races. Let's grow the individual state. That's why I'm in Georgia right now for the, the uh, South uh, Georgia uh, state affiliate and for local yeah. state affiliates that came here. Let's grow the party at the local and regional and state level. Let's get local and regional candidates and even some statewide candidates elected now 
and grow our uh, grow our support, grow our voter base, grow our uh, our, our level of of um, of, uh, of 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 uh, name recognition in the communities that we live in and in society in general. Um, and let's work our way up to being able to win those federal races, winning congressional races, winning winning uh, senatorial races, winning gubernatorial races in, in their states, eventually winning the White House. But we have to do the work. And so that's what I'm focusing on now. Um, I'm continuing to focus on doing uh, as much national media as I can. Um, it's interesting during these off years, the media is much more comfortable giving us coverage. I, I got more co- I've gotten more national media coverage this year. Uh, yeah. Than Joe and I combined got during the entire election because right now they don't feel that we're a threat. But this is the time to get people's attention. So you're going to see a lot of me. I'm going to be spreading the message of liberty anywhere that I can, and I'm going to be working with libertarians across the country, state by state, county by county, uh, to grow that message of liberty and and show people how we can present our message in a way that connects with everyday Americans and that can set people free in our time. And I I will not rest until I do so. Good. And how can people connect with you? So I can be found on many, many different places. Uh, if you want to keep in touch with my, if you want to see my podcasting that I do, my shows that I do, uh, the Muddy Waters of Freedom and my fellow Americans, you can follow me on Muddied Waters Media, uh, and you can find that everywhere. We are on all social media platforms, uh, and we are also on uh, all of the podcasting platforms. Whatever you use to listen to podcasts, we're on that as well. We're on YouTube, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on, we're on literally everything, and we're also at muddiedwatersmedia.com. Uh, and if you want to keep in touch with me and my, uh, you know, uh, political uh, pursuits that I'm out here doing, uh, then uh, you can find me on Spike Cohen. I'm on almost everything. I'm on uh, Facebook. I'm on YouTube. I'm on Instagram. I am on uh, Twitter. Uh, I'm on TikTok for the kids. Um, I'm uh, I'm all uh, uh, I'm 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 all over and uh, and I soon not yet but soon I have a website coming up SpikeCohen.com. Uh, okay. You'll be able to keep see what, what upcoming events I have uh, and things like that and contact me. Uh, but yeah, if, if you're looking for me, I'm on, on Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and all of that and, you, and Instagram. And you can follow me on that. Good deal. And finally, I'd like to ask my guests, what is one thing that you want people to know? That I haven't already said? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's see, I already left thing. it. I left it all in the court, man. Um, uh, <laughs> let me see. What do I want someone to know? Here's what I want you to know. You are valid. You are loved. Mm. You deserve respect. You deserve to be treated like the human being that you are. You are not your mistakes. You are not the sum of what you have a hard time forgetting and letting go. You are a responsible human being. You can learn from where you have gone and get better as a result of it. And in the meantime, you are deserving of the love and care that all of us are because we've all done things that fall short of perfection. And that is not a reason to uh, that is not a reason to let people disrespect you or invalidate you or treat you like you're less than. Because in the reality, they also have their reasons that, you know, someone could do that to them. And we don't need to do that. Instead, we can respect ourselves. We can learn from what we've done wrong and we can demand uh, the respect and validity and attention that we need in the meantime. Uh, you are not your body. You are a divine uh, 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 spirit inside of a physical manifestation and uh, you can and, and will do better. And I am proud of you for still being here despite of everything that's happened up until now. And uh, I am honored to, to know that you are still here trying your best and you can try your best every single day. And, uh, and I'm proud of you, bro. That'll preach. So you're saying the, that'll preach. That was a great, that was a great, those are great thoughts to offer everybody. Spike, I appreciate you very much. Uh, Absolutely. man. Thank you with us. Um, blessings to you and your wife. And thank you, man. As you continue to do the work that you're doing. And as, uh, I tell the people that I work with, you are unique, you are remarkable, you got purpose and you are, uh, living that out. So I appreciate you and the, and the work that you do. Uh, Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Thank you. Hey, next, next Sunday, we will uh, be having our humanity matters one-on-one discussion with Dr. Peg Falls Corbett, and we'll be discussing uh, punishment and criminal justice. And actually Spike alluded to it. We'll be talking about restorative justice. And so join us for that five o'clock next Sunday, as always, you can connect with my nonprofits, the City of Hope Outreach, 
Uh, that's coho58.org, Hope Village, hopevillagecoho.org, and our nonprofit startup, Replicate. And our quote of the week comes from Mother Teresa. Each time anyone comes in contact with us, they must become different and better people because of having met us. We must radiate God's love. Thank you for joining us at the Humanity Matters podcast. For more information, visit our website, philipfletcher.org. Like us on YouTube. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Remember to be loved, be kind, be generous. And if we remember to live in hope,